Would you turn, please, to 1 Peter this morning? First Epistle of Peter. We got 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But we're at 1 Peter, the first chapter. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, we have extra Bibles and we'd be glad to let you use. We found that if you'll make the effort to turn in the scriptures, find the verse, look at it with your own eyes, it just registers on you better, gets in you better. Now, here at Faith Life Church, we read our chapter in the New Testament every day, Monday through Friday. Is that right? Absolutely. We, uh, and we're in the book of Revelation now. Won't be long till we, we will have read the entire New Testament through twice since we began, if you've been with us from the beginning. It's interesting how that works. If you read one chapter in the New Testament every day, Monday through Friday, it only takes a few minutes, you will have read the New Testament through in its entirety in one year. Works out exactly that way. And uh, we feel so strongly that the Word of God, that you, you're feeding on the Word regularly like this, impacts and changes you more than about anything that you could mention or talk about. And so if you've been around, you hear me repeat it and talk about it again and again and again, and you'll hear it again and again and again, because it is so, so vitally important. In fact, the Lord spoke to my heart something this morning, two things, and, and, and let me share it with you, that he said, uh, let me say it exactly like I got it in my heart, that there are people uh, that feel like they're a part of the church, but they're not deriving the full benefit of the church. They're not getting the full training, and they're not getting the full nourishing that they're supposed to be getting because of two reasons, not reading their chapter every day and not being here on Friday night. See, we're, we, we cover completely different areas on Friday than we do on Sunday, and there are whole blocks of things, if, you don't, if you're not here, that you're not getting. And I'm not saying that to get you to come. I just, I'm, I believe it's true that you're not fully benefiting from the church and you're not going to be developing properly and fully like you should if you're not getting fed in all the areas, right? Everybody say, read your chapter. Read your chapter. Show, up Show up on Friday. Fully develop. Fully develop. Hallelujah. First Peter, the first chapter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, let me begin reading here in uh, the fourth verse, 1 Peter 1, 4. Well, verse 3. <laughs> I have to watch about backing up. I wind up in Genesis because it's... It's all good. I mean, it's all good. How do you pick? Well, you're led. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively, lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, that, that is the source of our living hope. How many believe he's coming again? Well, if he hadn't raised from the dead, he wouldn't be coming again, right? That's the source, cause of our living hope. How many believe 
that if the Lord tears his coming and, and your body dies and, and they bury your body, but your spirit goes to be with Jesus, that your body will rise again. How many believe that? It's going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because he rose, right? Because he rose from the dead, we're going to rise from the dead. So we've got this living hope. That's why, like the scripture says, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. You know, uh, I, uh, uh, I've, I've got a number of family in heaven right now that, you know, their bodies have died and they've gone on to be with the Lord. And recently, you know, Dr. Kenneth Hagin, my father in the faith, that we, every day, for years, I was with him and uh, so, so much a father to me. And he went home to be with the Lord. And, you know, I, it's difficult for me to even uh, feel bad about that because heaven is so real to me. Did you hear me? And, and I know, you know, his service and, and how, you know, some vague idea of his reward and his reception in heaven. I'm just so happy for him that I can't feel sorry for myself. Did you hear me? And certainly, somebody close to you, go home to be with the Lord. You know, there'll be times that you, you miss them. You'd like to be with them. You want to be with them. But you didn't lose them. I said you didn't lose them. They just went home to be with the Lord. Right? They relocated. And you will see them again. Soon. Amen. Soon. I mean, if you live down here a hundred years, it's nothing. It's a vapor. It's here. It's gone. Soon and very soon. Life is so short. Even if you live to be 120, it's just short, brief, a vapor. Oh, but eternity in him is secure. And when you realize you're going to be around forever, and all you loved ones that are saved are going to be around forever, it helps you relax. You breathe a sigh of relief and go, hey, what's my rush? I'm going to be around forever. Amen. Thank God for the resurrection and the living hope that that gives us. Keep reading. He says, verse 4, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. Somebody say, I got reservations. Ooh, and, and they're nice. Oh, they're nice. I have reservations. Where, where's your reservations? In heaven. I got some things there with my name on them. Waiting for me. Go Now, you get thinking about it too much, you want to go now. But we're not through. We'll get there soon enough. No, life, life is so short. No need to rush it. No. But we have divine reservations and our and our inheritance, our, our blessing is not going anywhere. It is never going to fade away. It's never going to go away. It can't rust. It can't decay. It is incorruptible. It is secure unto us. So something down here rusts or goes away or fades. Don't worry about it. The real stuff is still reserved in your name. Amen. Amen. You're not going to miss out. Are you happy today? Verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you believe, you rejoice. Do you see that? That's true in every area of belief. When you believe, when you're in faith about something, you are rejoicing. If you say, well, I, you know, we're just, we're just standing and believing God. No, you're not. If you were, you wouldn't be depressed about it. Did you hear me? If you're believing God, even through fears and through tears, you begin to rejoice. Amen. When you get into faith, the Bible said, we which, we which have believed do enter into rest. And in that peace, uh, there is also joy. And when you, when you get into faith, you breathe a sigh of relief and you go, ah, it's going to be all right. In fact, it's going to be better than that. Amen. You get to thinking about what it's going to be and you begin to rejoice. Even though maybe at that particular moment you might be experiencing pain or lack, you can see past it, you can see beyond it, and by faith, rejoice. If you're in faith, you're in rejoicing. Amen. No such thing as being depressed about something and being afraid about something and worrying about something and being in faith. It doesn't work that way. But you can cast your cares on him and you can rejoice anyhow. He said we're, we're uh, believing and rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now skip on down to verse 18. He said, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers. But what were you redeemed with? But we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ the Anointed One as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Hallelujah. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Can you say amen? amen. You know, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about the movie, The Passion. And I thank God for that. And I think there's probably a lot of people in church all over the country today that might not have been in church except for this movie. And anybody could try to pick and find fault with this or that about the movie. But I doubt seriously that you or I could have done as well. <laughs> Did you hear me? And one thing that is obvious is that Jesus paid a terrible price. Right? And he, he was offered up as sacrifice for us. Somebody said, well, it was so, it was so gory. Well, so was the real thing. Well, there's just blood everywhere. Exactly. I said exactly. Because we were redeemed, how? By the precious. Oh, hallelujah. 
the precious blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb. I think we should talk some about that blood this morning. And we're going to receive communion, which represents the blood and the body. But we ought not take for granted, and, and there ought not be very many days and weeks go by that we don't think about the blood in some way, form, or fashion. We don't talk about the blood. And as we, we talked back some months ago, when we are talking about reverencing God and what a key that is to receiving from Him. We mentioned that there are a few things that you should always show the utmost respect for and you don't make jokes about and you don't make light about. And first and foremost on the list is the blood. You don't, make, you don't make jokes about the blood, and you don't make light about the blood. Also, the Holy Spirit. You don't make jokes about the Holy Spirit, and you don't make light. We're to reverence. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy. We don't, we don't have to become depressed when we start talking about the blood. Somebody said, well, it was so awful. It's already been done. Jesus is not at the scourging post today. Did you hear me? He's not hanging on the cross today. But the blood is still around. Hallelujah. And the blood is still effective. And like we're singing, it never, never loses its power. Oh, can you say amen? amen. So, you know, so many times people, I, I've been to other countries where they, uh, while I was there, they paraded a cross with a, 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 oh, a molding of Jesus hanging on the cross and, and paraded it through town, and the whole town was just mourning. I mean, uh, agonizing and mourning. Well, that's not right. I said, that's not right. I said, well, Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross. He was on the cross. He's not suffering today. Did you hear me? It's been done. It's been done. How many believe the rest of the scripture that he raised from the dead? Hallelujah. And he ascended up on high. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like the children were singing, he's alive. Amen. He's not dead. He's alive. He's not hanging on the cross. He's alive. He's alive. You have to watch about the morning. See, See, persistent mourning and people being so heavy about the cross acts like there is no resurrection, acts like there is no victory. No, he was born, he did live, he did go to the cross, he did suffer, it was awful. The suffering you could see was not even the full suffering. The biggest part of it you couldn't see, it was in the spirit. And it passed the death. There was awful suffering past the physical death. He went to the heart of the earth, the Bible said. He descended. There was suffering beyond what people saw in the flesh. Oh, but he's not there. I said he's not there. He's not on the cross. He's not at the scourging post. He's not in the heart of the earth. He's alive. He's risen. He's set down on the right hand of majesty on high. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is soon to come again. And we are going to rule and reign with Him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. I, I had a lady uh, accost me just a few days ago in another state where I was at. It's preaching and ministering. And she was suffering from a debilitating 
uh, disease. I guess uh, she, she mentioned a couple of things, but it, it involved paralysis and malfunction of the nervous system. Just a, She was on a walker and a debilitating thing. And she was, you know, trying to tell me. She said, well, you know, I just felt like that I was going through this for my daughter. And I said, what? She said, well, you know, that I, I, I was bearing uh, her pain and her sufferings. And this was good. I said, hold on, hold on. There's only one person. There's only one person who could ever bear the penalty of sin for anybody. Did you hear me? And, and if you think by any stretch, I'm not, I'm not talking about her, I'm talking about you, anybody. If you think that, that you're suffering in proxy for somebody else, then you are insulting the ultimate sacrifice that has already been paid and leaving the impression that it was not sufficient, that you have to add your little suffering to it. Did you hear me? No, the price for all sin has been paid in full. The substitutionary suffering has been done, completely done. Amen. When Jesus said, it is finished, that's what he meant. That means nobody else comes behind and adds to it. Nobody else could do it, but he has done it. Thank God we have been redeemed by the precious blood. Everybody say precious blood. Now, uh, in talking about this, let me get my place here. Um, the scripture tells us in the Psalms, in fact, why don't you just turn back to Psalm 49, giving us some kind of idea of the uh, cost of a soul. Psalm 49. What is a soul worth? Now, there, there are people in certain parts of the world, this country as well, that'll shoot you in the head for $100, right? Or 20 right? To them, human life is, is worth no more than that. A piece of paper that could buy them something, not even that much, is worth more than that life in that physical body. And that shows you just how much darkness and deception some people are in. They don't know what's valuable, have not a clue. Well, if somebody killed the body, they didn't kill the spirit. You can't destroy that spirit and that soul. But what about the cost of a soul? In Psalm 49, notice with me. Read with me. In verse uh, 6, Psalm 49, and verse 6, he says, uh, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother. Now, you understand what the word redeem means? It means to buy. To redeem means to buy or it could mean to buy back, to buy. You, none of them can by any means redeem or buy his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. 
for the redemption of their soul is precious. Now, the word precious could also be translated costly. Costly. We might say today, expensive. The redemption of their soul is what? It's precious. It's, it's very, very costly. Very, very valuable. Very expensive. And it ceaseth forever. That's how expensive it is. Now, you skip on down to verse 15. Here's the good news. But God will redeem my soul. Hallelujah. Who, who can buy it? There was only one who could buy it. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Wasn't that what was demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus? That the grave had no power over him. Death had no power over him. Hell and sin, the devil and all his cohorts had no power over him. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Think about that. <laughs> if the Lord tears his coming, none of us are promised that we're going to live down here forever. We are given the, told that we have a right to a long life. With long life, he'd satisfy us. But we couldn't expect to live down here for 500 years or another 1,000 years. So if our, we live out our days and, and, and my body is laid to rest, I have no fear. But that this body is coming up again. How about yours? Yes. This body. Somebody said, this, this body. This body is going to be raised from the dead incorruptible. Never again subject to decay or disease or death. You know, sometimes people actually have a misunderstanding when they talk about healing. I've had people, ministers even try to tell me, they try to look wise and say, well, some will be healed now. But some are healed in death, and some will be healed later. Well, where'd you get that? Healed in death? You're not healed in death. You're dead. That's not healing. The body's dead. The spirit's not dead, but the body. Actually, Jesus just called it sleep. Why? Because it's going to be wakened. Right? Right? But somebody said, well, you're yeah, healed later. No, no, later our body is going to be incorruptible. What does that mean? Can't be corrupted, can't decay, can't be weak, so you wouldn't need healing. No, if you're going to get healed, you better get it now. Because later on it's not going to be applicable. Right? No, don't, don't wait and put that kind of thing. No, we, we require healing. Now, now our bodies are mortal. Now they're subject to all these things. Now is when we require uh, this quickening, this uh, resurrection power. That's why the Bible said, if the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal body. Isn't that what Romans 8 said? He'll quicken your mortal body by that same spirit. Well, we don't, you know, we don't get the full uh, resurrection power flowing through our body, but we get a mini, mini quickening. Later on, the full thing's going to come, and I mean the power of God will flow through us from our head to our toes, and we'll be changed on a molecular level. We cannot age anymore. 
cannot be weak, cannot be sick anymore. Won't that be wonderful? Isn't that going to be great? No more gray hair. No more wrinkles. No more weight problems. No more aches and pains. It won't be long. Won't be long. I'm looking forward to that. But until then, until then, we've been given the earnest of our inheritance, the first fruits of redemption, which, in, which includes the quickening of the mortal body to keep us in good service. Amen? Keep our bodies in good service condition so we can use them to serve the Lord. How many understand you can do more service for the Lord with a strong body than you can bound by sickness and disease? How many understand you can do more in service for the Lord with a bunch of money than you can so broke you can't fill up your car to get out of town? Certainly. Anybody with understanding knows that. But we've been redeemed. Say out loud, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. See, by the precious, precious blood. Why? Because a soul is precious. One soul. Now see, somebody said, well, a human body is just made out of uh, dirt. And, and they tell us that if you, you know, you uh, reduced it to its uh, elements and minerals, it'd only be worth 15 or $20 or something like that. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Let's see you take $20 worth of elements and make a human body out of it. Oh, no, no. Human body is extremely valuable. But we're not talking about the human body. We're talking about the soul. Right? How much is a soul worth? Well, the Bible says the value of it is very, very precious. It ceases forever and that nobody could ever come up with enough money to buy one or pay for one. And that's what we just got through reading in 1 Peter, wasn't it? You were not redeemed by, you know, with corruptible things like silver and gold, but have we been redeemed? We have, no, silver and gold couldn't buy us. There, there aren't enough trillions in the earth. There isn't enough gold. There isn't an, uh, there, there are not enough precious uh, stones to buy one soul. But was there anything in the universe that was valuable enough to buy a soul? It was. There was something. There is something. What is it? The precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Everybody say, thank God for the blood. That blood was and is valuable enough to buy human souls. To buy them. Pay for them. Wow. Now there's so many things going on here. The devil's such a liar. He tries to tell you that you're not worth much. You ever heard anything like that? Any thoughts like that come across your mind? Well, you know, ain't much to you. I mean, your family would probably be better off if you were out of the way. Listen, friend, next time thoughts like that come across your mind, you just ask him. You say, hey, if I'm, not, if I'm so cheap, if I'm worth so little, why, why, pray tell, did God pay so much for me? I'm telling you, he paid a huge price for us. What does that tell us? We're valuable. To give something as valuable as the blood for us, we are extremely valuable to God. He, he has eternal plans for us with Him. That's how valuable we are. 
Sometimes people talk about, well, you know, uh, so-and-so died, you know, even a little one, you know, or a young one or a teenager. God took them because he needed another angel in the choir. Oh, where, where's the scripture for something like that? No, uh-uh. No, no. 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 That would be a demotion, becoming an angel. No. We're not going to turn into angels. We've been created on a higher order. We've been bought by the precious blood. We're called the sons of God. Amen. And soon and very soon, we're going to see him, and we're going to be ruling and reigning with him, and we're going to be, I mean, Revelation, we, we, we've been reading in there, but we're going to see it real soon. It, it, there's this great mass of people, and they're in white robes, and he says, who are these? He said, these are they that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. That's us. That's a picture of our future. White, cleansed. Why is the blood so precious? Well, Leviticus, won't you turn back there real quickly? Leviticus 17. Are you okay? You with me this morning? Leviticus. Seventeen. Leviticus seventeen, eleven. Why is the blood so precious? All people see is the is the red and the drops and the and the you know the, the external part. But what, what is blood? Why is it so precious? Leviticus seventeen eleven says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Life. Life. You know, so many times people think that we know so much now because we have our, 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 our medical equipment and our scientists and our researchers, but we, we don't know that much. Thank God for what we've learned, but we don't know that much. You know, if you say, well, uh, do, you, do we understand life? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the blood... Uh, the, the marrow and the production and the white and red blood cells and it carries oxygen and, and supply and takes away the, the, the spent fuel. and Okay, but the life, life in a human being, where does it come from? Let's find it. Let's, let's look at it under the microscope. You can't see it. But the Bible tells us that the life is in the blood. And we know this, if we let all the blood out of you today, your body won't be alive. And so there's something about the blood that is the connector between the spirit and the flesh. And the life that's in the spirit flows through the blood into the flesh. Not something you could see with a microscope. But when the Bible says it, it's a fact. The life is in the blood. That's why he goes on to say that you don't eat blood. In verse 14, he repeated it. The life of all flesh, uh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. He said, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof, and so you don't eat blood. And I don't eat blood. The life is in the blood. Well, what life was in Jesus' blood? He had no earthly father, right? Born of a virgin. Born miraculously. 
What life was in his blood? The life of God. Right? How precious is that blood? The life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of God flowed in him and flowed in his blood and in his veins. He was not a helpless victim in the hands of his tormentors, was he? No, he said, no man can take my life from me. Uh, he, he talked about he had authority from the Father to lay it down and what? Take it up again. But if you go back to the law, God had instructed them from the beginning that in order for sin to be atoned for, blood had to be shed. Isn't that right? I mean, the law had been foreshadowing and foretelling this for century after century after century, in great detail. I mean, all the ordinances and statutes of the tabernacle and, and then of the temple, the priesthood, and all the sacrifices pointed ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus. They would come with the spotless lamb. Had to be a lamb without blemish. And they would kill that lamb and they would, you know, cut its throat and let the blood flow. And people say, oh, that is gross. <laughs> You're being carnal. You're not seeing the big picture here. Life is in that blood. Is it bad? Is it hard? It is hard. But sin is a serious thing. Death, spiritual death, is a serious thing. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I guess I blow it sometimes and I miss it. But, you know, we're just 1 John 1, 9 it and go on. That's too flippant. I said, that's too flippant. What do you mean 1 John 1, 9? Well, we just, you know, we just plead the blood and ask God to forgive us and not even be serious. And, you know, there's, there's some whole uh, denominations and groups that people, you know, they, they, they sin planning on repenting after they sin. And we'll just go through the motion, and it'll be okay, and we'll just do this, and we'll just do that. Listen, our right to be clean came at an awful price. We must not be flippant and go, well, we'll just, we'll just repent. No, no. The Bible talks about disrespecting and insulting the Spirit of grace and counting the blood wherewith you were sanctified an unholy thing, treating it like it's common. Oh, man, that, that opens the door for judgment. No. We, we, we shouldn't be flippant about sin. That's why the blood had to be spilled. But the, uh, the priest would come, and they had to wash their self and put on special clothes that were designated for their service. And they killed the innocent. What'd that lamb ever do? Nothing. Innocent. Lamb without blemish shed its blood and caught the blood in basins. And then... They would go into the holy place. The high priest would take the blood into the most holy place. And that blood would be sprinkled or sprayed around the holy things and the mercy seat. And the sins of the people would be atoned or covered for another year which means judgment wouldn't come on them. They wouldn't be destroyed or punished because of their sins, but next year they'd have to go back and do it again. Why? 
Because like Hebrews said, it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But what was it doing? It was prophesying, right? It was foretelling. It was showing the one who was to come, whose blood was valuable enough, whose blood was precious enough to put away sin, not just cover it, but wash it away. Hallelujah. Not just cover it, but eliminate it. Oh, hallelujah. That blood has been shed. At this point, we're not looking forward to it. We're looking back to it. It's happened. Go with me, please, to Hebrews, book of Hebrews. There's so much in the book of Hebrews about this and about the blood. If you want to get more on it, just read Hebrews again sometime. But in Hebrews chapter 9, are you ready to shout? Yeah, go ahead and turn your shouter on. Get it warmed up. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you can't shout about this, what could you shout about? I mean, eternal life, cleansing of sin. I mean, if you, life forevermore. If you, if you can't shout about that, then you just uh, need to repent. Hebrews <laughs> chapter 9. You mind if I just read a few scriptures to you this morning? Just read a passage instead of a verse. Verse 1, Hebrews 9. He said, Verily the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and a worldly or earthly sanctuary. There was a tabernacle, the first where it was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. And the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. You know God still has those things? He has them. And over their type of the real. Over it were the cherubims, the angels of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. He said, I can't get into that right now with you. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, what? Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors or sin of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Let's just stop right there. You understand, nobody could go into the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And he only at that certain time and only with blood, only under certain, certain precautions. And this was demonstrating that the way for people to enter into the holiest and closest presence of God was not available to the common man because of sin. Oh, but keep reading, keep reading. He said, which was a figure, this was a type for the time then present in which were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. The blood of animals could cover the sin for that year, but that blood could not reach and touch the conscience of men. 
That blood could not deliver uh, the conscience from guilt or condemnation. It stood only in foods and drinks and washings and natural physical ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. But Christ, the anointed one, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, Jesus is the high priest that all the high priests before him typified. Just like there was a, a holy of holies and a holy place outside and a washing place, that was all a pattern of the real. There's a real holy of holies in heaven. Hallelujah. There's a real altar. There's a real mercy seat. There are real cherubim that cover. Hallelujah. And just like those high priests went in year after year and brought blood into that natural holy place, our high priest at the right position and at the right moment in the history of time and humanity, he went in to the real holy of holies. Verse 12, oh, are you ready? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once, only had to be done one time, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. What an awesome thing this is. I said, what an awesome thing this is. His suffering was terrible. Like I said, the spiritual part of it, the part you couldn't see, was much worse than the part they could see. Blood was shed. They smote him. They struck him. Blood came out. They backhanded him and backfisted him and blood came out. They put that thorn, that crown of thorns on his head and blood came out. They scourged him and blood came out. They put that spear into his side and blood and water flowed. And he paid it all, brother. He, he spilt it all. He was willing to give every last drop of the most precious thing in all time and eternity. For what? To buy something. Hallelujah. To buy something. Us. And he did. And they laid him in the tomb. And his body was cold and stiff, dead. But he wasn't there. He went into the heart of the earth. And it was more awful yet. Oh, but friend, at the end of three days, the Father from heaven spoke. And it shook hell to the core. He said, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. This day have I begotten thee, and he was the first one to ever be born again. And it shook hell, it shook death, and he arose triumphant over death, over hell, over sin. And he entered back into his body that was laying cold and dead in that grave. And the angels of God were there. 
And the same Holy Spirit that moved over the face of the deep was there. And he moved over Jesus' body. Ooh, glory to God. And his, his skin changed and his muscles and ligaments and bones changed. And Jesus' Spirit came back into his body and his body was glorified. Never again to be mortal. In any shape, form, or fashion. Not subject to any weakness or, or pain or age. And he stood up in that tomb. Raised from the dead. Never again to die. Raised from the dead over sin. And he came out. Do you remember? He came out and some of the women saw him. And at this particular point, you know, when they recognized him, they started to fall down and worship him. So many times they'd put their hands on his feet, you know, and they'd worship him, which is appropriate. But what did he say? Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Remember that? Why did he say that? Because just a little bit later, he said, touch me. Right? To Thomas, he said, you know, put your, put your finger in my hand and put your hand in my side and see that it's me. I'm not a spirit. This is flesh. Why did he say, don't touch me? Just like had been portrayed all those centuries when the high priest washed himself and put on his holy clothes. Nobody was to touch him. Nobody was to touch him. He was to take that blood and go into the Holy of Holies and, and, and make, you know, atonement for the people. Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father. He had just been raised from the dead. He had just come out of the heart of the earth. And he said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Why? Because he's just about to take his own blood into the most holy place of God and offer it up as the means to buy human beings, to buy mankind, and to buy men back from the power of sin, and to buy men out from under death unto eternal life. And to make men righteous. And to make men holy and clean. There was only one thing that would do it. And he did it. I said, he did you read it again now. It might, might mean more to you. Verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. The real one. Not the one made with hands. Not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He was both high priest and he was sacrifice. He entered in once, once into the holy place and he obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, the natural, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh, hallelujah. You may not understand all that, all that with your head. No, but none of us understands all that with our head. But does your spirit get happy when you hear about it? Is there something stir inside you and you go, oh man, this is wonderful. I don't really know how wonderful it is, but it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Oh, glory to God. That blood is there now on the mercy seat. That blood is alive. And that blood speaks. The Bible said that that blood speaks better things 
than Abel's. See, Cain killed Abel. And the Bible said, God said, Abel's uh, blood is crying to me. Why? There's life in that blood. It's crying to me from the ground. What was it crying for? Vengeance. This is not right. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Jesus' blood speaks too. But the Bible said it speaks better things than Abel's. What's, What's that blood crying? Abel's blood was crying, he's guilty, he's guilty, I was innocent. Jesus' blood is crying, not guilty, they're innocent, I've paid the price. Oh, hallelujah, that blood is there today. And no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how terribly you have failed, how what abject sin, I don't care if you got into the depths of Satanism and practiced witchcraft. I don't care if you did the most bizarre things with your body and have defiled and debased yourself to the very dregs of sin. You might say, Brother Key, you don't know what I've done. You don't know then how powerful the blood is. Because no matter what you've done, that blood is more than enough to cleanse you, wash you sanctify you and make you holy and acceptable to God. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet, everybody. Oh, thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. That blood, that blood lives today. Just close your eyes. Begin to thank him in your heart because of his goodness and faithfulness. Lord, we worship you today. We adore you. We thank you for the great sacrifice that has been made. No sin is represented in this room that is too awful that that blood cannot cleanse. No past is so bad that that blood cannot wash away. We believe, we have faith in the blood. Everybody said out loud, I have faith in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, hallelujah.